Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. third century, a man named Cyprian wrote to a friend named Donatus these words. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from a fair garden under the shadow of a tree or vines. But if I climb some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, do you know very well what I would see? Robbers on the high road, pirates on the sea. In the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Being called a quiet and holy people is a compliment for the believer. This is the instruction that Paul gives the body of Christ for how we are to stay ready for the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, Paul teaches about the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. In verses 9-12, through 12, the verses leading up to it, Paul gives practical instruction for how the body is to live in light of Christ's coming and for us to be rapture-ready. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-10 read, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. The context for verses 9 to 12 is set back in verses 1 and 3. And there our Apostle Paul talks about how to walk and live to please God, and that the will of God is our sanctification. Practical sanctification concerns the daily matters of life that are the outworking of our relationship with the living God. It's about being set apart unto God in what we say and what we do. As we obey God's word by faith, we will live set apart from the world, set apart from sin, and live honoring and pleasing to God. Now this Thessalonian church that Paul writes here was dynamic, and they were enthusiastic. They were an all-or-nothing group of people. You see that in chapter 1 in their aggressive proclamation of their faith. Also, you learn in chapter 1, verse 10, it teaches us that this enthusiastic church was waiting for God's Son from heaven. And they were literally, actually, waiting for Christ to come. Paul had taught them about the believer's hope of the return of Christ at the rapture to catch away the body of Christ to heaven, which will close this dispensation of grace and deliver us from the wrath to come in the future tribulation period. Paul had taught them that Christ could come at any time. 
that we don't know when he's coming, but that they had every reason to expect its possibility in their lifetime. And that's still true right now. We still have that same expectation. So Paul had taught them to wait for him. And this church was enthusiastically waiting, and they were gripped by their hope. But in their excitement and zeal for the coming of Christ, they began to allow everyday responsibilities and duties of life to lose importance. They were so heavenly-minded, you could say they were of no earthly good. They had focused totally on the coming of Christ and lost sense of personal responsibility. They were looking for Christ, and that's good. But that focus had become so strong and so powerful that they were neglecting the everyday duties of life. Their thought process was, what's the point with worrying about things down here? We could be leaving any time. So they needed these reminders to love one another and help others while we wait for Christ to come. They needed to be reminded to to not be idle, to work with your hands, to take care of the responsibility of your home and family while we wait for the Lord to come. But their enthusiasm is good, though. It it teaches us, the church, something. We need more of their kind of rapture enthusiasm because today the church has the reverse problem. It's not the church is so anxious for the coming of Christ that we're ignoring our worldly responsibilities. It's that the church is often indifferent to the coming of Christ and consumed with worldly activities and the temporal things of life here that we often hardly think about the rapture. But to be rapture ready, we need to keep the rapture in mind. It's good for the church to anticipate Christ's coming and to be looking for it knowing that every single day is a day that we might stand before the great God and our Savior. Because this will drive us to live for Christ and to live for eternal things and not for the temporal only. All of this, though, shows how easily the church is given to extremes. And that's still the case now. We see it often in the church. In their extreme here, the Thessalonians had lost their balance. Their rapture hope had distracted them, and they were excited to the point that they weren't doing the everyday necessary duties of life. And so the instruction of this passage teaches us the kind of things God expects out of us, His church, as we stay ready for the rapture and a priority for each of our lives and what the church is supposed to be all about as we wait for God's Son from heaven is to love one another. God wants His church to be a loving people as we remain ready for our loving Savior who's coming for us. Paul teaches the church to don't neglect love. Don't look past meeting each other's needs and caring for one another as we wait for the rapture. God wants us to abound in love for one another as we wait for Christ. And this is in contrast to the world with its anger, its hostility, its bitterness, and its hatred. That in contrast to that hatred you see in the world, God would have His church love one another. 
Paul writes, as touching brotherly love in verse 9. And we all know about the city of brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Brotherly love here in the original Greek is the actually the Greek word Philadelphia. With brotherly in it, you see that this kind of love is the natural love that exists between brothers or between family. Paul is saying that our love for believer to believer should be as normal and natural as loving your family members. And we actually are family. We belong to the the same family in Christ. We belong to the family of God. So family kind of love and care should naturally be a part of the church. Paul said it was unnecessary, that he didn't need to write unto them about loving one another with brotherly love because they were taught of God to love one another. Paul had just written about not living like the Gentiles, which know not God, in verse 5. But in contrast to that, the Thessalonian Gentile believers, they did know God. And in knowing God, they knew that His very nature is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 8 says. God teaches us to love others by His own example. Because God is love, we, the people of God, and the family of God, are taught of God to be loving. And remember, too, how Paul had brought this church the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel teaches us about God's love for everyone. Romans 5, 8 teaches, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's unconditional love. The unconditional love of God in giving His Son for us and in Christ dying for us willingly for sinners teaches the church to do the same, to love others unconditionally. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, Go to BereanBibleSociety.org. A Praying Life Through Spirituality and Prayer is a 50-page booklet written by Pastor Kevin J. Sadler. This booklet demonstrates from Scripture how God desires prayer to fill the Christian life. God hears and answers prayer, and He tells us in His Word to pray without ceasing and commune with Him continually, relating every experience in life to Him. There is no part of our lives that isn't prayer material. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. In verse 10, Paul writes, And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren. They were living this out. Not only among their own church in their own town, but beyond. They were showing God's love to one another, to all the churches 
and all believers and all Macedonia, verse 10. And notice the all the brethren. This wasn't selective love. They were loving all the brethren unconditionally, regardless of their background, social standing, gender, age, or race. In chapter 4, verse 1, as they walked to please God, Paul encouraged them that they would abound more and more. And here in verse 10, you see Paul by grace beseeching them that their love would increase more and more. Love is not an achievement. It is something that we grow in and it is something we must practice continually. We don't ever arrive with our love in the Christian life. We can never sit back and be like, ah, I've done enough, I'm done. People continually need God's love. There's always more that need God's love and care. And Paul encourages the Thessalonians to excel in their love, to increase the level of their love, to let their love have no limits, to superabound with it, to love to an even greater degree. And that teaches us that there is always room for spiritual growth with our love. We increase in love by an increasing understanding of Christ by the Word rightly divided, and it is the Holy Spirit who causes us to increase in love. It is His fruit in our lives. To be rapture ready, Paul's instruction is love each other more and more, not less and less. Concentrate more on meeting people's needs. Don't ignore this world because Christ is coming. Instead, take a closer look. Take a harder and deeper look at the people around you and love them more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 reads, And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. Paul writes to study to be quiet. Study means to make it your ambition, to aspire, to strive earnestly for, and make it your goal. Quiet means to be at rest, to be silent, still, or calm. Paul says, be ambitious, make a major effort to just live quietly. And it just seems like a contradictory instruction. Because when you think about ambition, ambition tends to be noisy and to make a splash. But Paul says to make it your life's ambition to lead a quiet life. This is the opposite of what we might think. Because Christ could come at any moment. So shouldn't we lead a loud life? Shouldn't the church be all over the place, yelling, hollering, protesting, doing whatever we need to do to wake up this world? And instead, God teaches us to lead a quiet life. So then it in turn makes you wonder, how can we make a difference for Christ and yet be quiet at the same time? And the answer is, in the wisdom of God's Word, is that believers make a bigger impact for Christ by leading a quiet life than being noisy, out there banging drums, causing scenes, getting arrested, being on the news, and being troublesome. Leading a quiet life does not mean that we are silent with the truth and with the gospel and that we don't open our mouths to share it. We are taught to speak the truth in love. In this passage... 
Paul points out the strong influence that believers have in impacting unbelievers and the nuts and bolts of your day-to-day life. The greatest witness for Christ that we will ever have is the life that we lead for Christ. We make a powerful difference for our Savior by leading a quiet life of faith in Him. The emphasis here is on the quietness of mind and heart, the inner tranquility and peace of God. Two painters were in a contest where each said that they could paint a picture of peace. One painter painted this beautiful sunset with the sun going down over the calm water. It all looked very nice and the picture had a very calming effect. The other painter painted a picture of a storm in it. The, the sky was dark, there was lightning and dark clouds rolling overhead. The picture showed the crashing waves against the rocks. Things looked chaotic, but in the corner of the painting, at the bottom, were two big stones with a bird protected in the middle of them. And the bird was singing. And that's peace. Peace is where God's calm and God's tranquility overrules what's going on around you. And though it looks like the world is falling apart and is crashing down around us, believers can have this inner quietness and lead a quiet, peace-filled life, a joyful life, in spite of what's going on around us in the world. And in the middle of the chaos, we sing and we rejoice in the Lord because we have hope in Christ and we know that He is coming one day. Paul is speaking of a gracious, quiet kind of living for the believer. He's not talking about idleness or not doing anything for the Lord or speaking the truth. It's living in the peace of God that transcends human understanding. Paul didn't want the Thessalonian church frantic and worried and anxious and lacking composure as they stayed ready for the rapture. He wanted them to live in God's quietness as we wait for it. Romans 15.33 says that God is the God of peace. And as believers live nearer to God in our personal relationship with Him through Christ, we can live a quiet life of peace. And all of this is like what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now think about this. Real love and real peace is what this world is looking for. You and I have it in Christ. God wants us to demonstrate that to the world, to draw others to our Savior. Next, Paul says to do your own business. The Thessalonians were neglecting personal responsibility to the daily affairs of their life as they waited for Christ's coming. And instead, in their idleness, they were interfering with the affairs of others. Do your own business means to mind your own business. Paul teaches the church to take care of and attend to your own business and responsibilities. Don't be nosy and meddlesome and always looking to pry into the affairs of others. 
What Paul, though, is primarily teaching by this statement is for the members of Christ's body to keep our head down and to concentrate on our own life and character. The point is, concentrate on how you live for the Lord. Don't spend so much time worrying about others and others' failings that you neglect your own life and your own growth and grace. How many times... During a message from God's Word, have we each thought, and I know I've done this, boy, this person really needs to hear that. Or, if so-and-so would only do this. But we need to take what we hear taught from the Word of God to our own heart, to mind our own business, and listen for the things that God is teaching us where we need the change where we need to grow in Christ. Paul says, keep to your business. Make it a habit to attend to your own concerns. Keep doing what's necessary for your Christian walk, your livelihood, you taking care of your home and your family as a testimony for the Lord and to the world. You take care of your Christian walk. Make sure you're about pleasing God. Make your light strong and bright by living by the Word of God and by God's grace for today. In contrast again to the world and to its ambition, which is to be loud and to make a great stir and to constantly, incessantly be in everyone else's business, Paul's instruction is for the believer to lead a quiet, unobtrusive, peaceful life Focusing on your own spiritual walk in your own business in life. Christ could come at any time to take the church out of this world to heaven, but while we wait, we stay ready by doing all the normal things that are necessary to life here. Such as what Paul says next, work with your own hands. Some of the Thessalonians were quitting their jobs. Some had become lazy. Others weren't working hard as they waited for the Lord's return. There was a man who phoned his boss one day and said, I need a day off. There's something wrong with my eyes. And his boss asked what was wrong with his eyes. The man replied, I don't know, but I just can't see myself coming into work today. The Thessalonians just couldn't see the point in coming to work and going to work as they waited for the Savior. But God looks highly on hard work. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to earn their wages, to work diligently. Our job, our work can be a powerful testimony for the Lord as we work faithfully and do our jobs well. When you think about the opposite of an irresponsible, lazy lifestyle, how that discredits the gospel. It discredits our testimony to the unbelieving. Diligence in our work is an important factor in making our faith attractive and living out our faith before others. We are rapture ready, and we are properly waiting for the Lord's return as we work, as we do our duties well and heartily for the Lord in our daily employment and in the home. Believers are to do their work for the Lord while we wait for the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 reads, That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. 
Paul says, we do all of these things that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. In staying ready for the rapture, we are to walk honestly or becomingly, decently, genuinely, in order to be a good testimony to the world. And it talks about those that are without. It's talking about those who are without, that are outside the faith. They're without Christ, without hope, without eternal life. In other words, the unbeliever. And this teaches us something too, as we walk honestly toward them that are without, that the unbeliever is always watching us. There's a true story told about a faithful old deacon who would pray in front of the church, and he often repeated an expression in his prayers, Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. One night at a midweek prayer meeting, as he was leading in prayer, he abruptly stopped praying after he used this same expression. The long pause caused some to be concerned if he had become suddenly ill. Someone finally stepped up to the front and went to him and asked if there was anything wrong or if he was ill as he stood there with his head still bowed and his eyes still closed. And he replied, no, I'm not ill. I just realized that I am that finger. We touch the hearts. We touch the lives of the unsaved by how we live. Paul says we are to walk honestly toward them that are without. Because what impresses the unbeliever is when they see us behaving honestly and decently in the everyday world and the day-to-day grind of it. What the world notices about believers are these things. How do believers treat one another? Do we truly love one another? They're searching for peace. Do you have true peace? Do you live and are you ruled by God's inner peace and calm? Are you honest with your faith? Genuine and real with it? Do you take care of your personal responsibilities? Do you take care of your family? Do you work hard? Are you faithful at it? Do you do your work well? When we do these things, it speaks volumes to them. The key to reaching others for Christ is the integrity of the lives of believers who manifest to a troubled, agitated, chaotic, irresponsible, messed up world a behavior and life that is not that way, but instead a life that is filled with the love of God, filled with the peace of God, filled with faithfulness to our responsibilities, filled with diligent work. And when believers live that kind of life in this world, people will take note that you are different, that you are set apart from others because we are set apart to God. And by doing these things, we light the path for others to Christ. As it's been said, live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.